For decades, children were dropped off on the steps of St. Joseph's Catholic Orphanage in Burlington, Vermont, an imposing four-and-a-half-story brick building near a lake. Some had lost parents. Others had parents drop them off there. Regardless of where they came from, they walked through the doors of the 1850s-era colonial building, and some never walked out. Christine Keneally spent four years digging into the gruesome history of Catholic orphanages for BuzzFeed News. And on this episode, Kelly Knoyer talks to Christine about her 25,000-word article. The investigation describes a culture of dehumanization and abuse that define the lives and deaths of children trapped within the orphanage walls. It received nearly six million views after it published. It's clear that the time has come for these stories to be told. Christine's investigation was complicated by the age of these allegations. The orphanage stopped admitting children back in the 1970s, and even the court records related to a lawsuit against the church dated back to the 90s. But with ever-mounting allegations against the Vatican and the Catholic Church, Christine thinks her article is as timely as ever. But the abuses of these clerics extend to and include grotesque physical abuse that has left scars on people for their entire lives, not to mention emotional abuse as well. These are all stories that still need to be told in much more detail. I'm Abby Avrigania, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. Christine Keneally first stumbled on the story of Catholic orphanages while attending an archivist convention. The the challenges that archivists and record keepers face are really interesting. They overlap in many ways with the challenges that journalists face, but they often have access to databases, to records that we don't, and that they sometimes have this incredible overview of what's happening really just with information in society. The archivists at the 2012 convention told her about orphans who had no access to information about their own lives. Adults who still had to fight for access to their own birth records, who didn't know their names or birthdays till they were preteens. Many children were referred to by numbers. They were literally addressed as 1 or 14 or 22. And some of them, I've spoken to individuals who actually didn't know that their name was anything other than the number by which they were addressed until they were 10 or 11 years old. Christine was stunned by that dehumanization. With FOIA requests, court documents, and human sources, she slowly pieced together a culture of immense cruelty, an environment, she says, that caused unnecessary deaths. There are many very disturbing and compelling stories about the deaths of children in institutions which have not yet been properly investigated. Over the course of four years, Christine read report after report alleging the worst imaginable tortures. Beatings with paddles, children thrown into lakes, kids forced to stand on hot radiators. And she eventually uncovered that, since 1916, at least 26 children died at St. Joseph's Orphanage. Some of the first documents Christine got were deposition transcripts from a lawsuit against the orphanage that she received from a FOIA request. And that was tens of thousands of pages that 
were like sort of the messy pieces of a puzzle, of an incomplete puzzle, because, of course, what gets archived in the courts is not an entire deposition, but often a few pages from here and there, pages that contain information that the attorneys at the time deem was actually relevant to, to the litigation. From those deposition documents, Christine found accusations of horrendous abuse. But many of the pages she received were randomly pulled from longer interviews, just a scrap of a larger story, one page out of 50. She often spent months, even years, pulling the truth out of a whisper of a story. The records themselves sometimes referenced documents or newspaper articles or people who had journals or diaries or things like that. And then we were able to get hold of those. Some, I believe that some documents that had been made available in discovery did come through that first FOIA process too. So there were pages of a memoir that a woman had written in the 1980s that had been produced in discovery in litigation. The court documents allowed Christine to find names of lawyers and victims. She worked hard to track them down, with each name leading to more human sources and often more documents. That shoe leather reporting was key for tying together every scrap of evidence. This had been a really big story at the time, and a lot of people were still hanging on to things that proved to be incredibly useful further down the road. But she wasn't always successful in her chase for records. I spent a lot of time uh, looking through New York State archives when I was pursuing reporting on the Albany story about the St. Coleman's orphanage. And I remember experiences where I was trying to locate a certain individual and I was trying to establish whether that individual had been at St. Coleman's at a particular time. And I finally tracked it down to one. It was a kind of a yearbook. And the page that I was looking for had been sliced out of the book. Other times, she struck gold, like when a source gave her church personnel files for errant priests. The cache of documents, which was never made public, includes police investigations, letters from accusers, settlement documents, and secret church tribunals. The documents revealed that the church knew exactly what was going on in these institutions, but never stepped in to stop it. Christine framed her story around a series of 1990s lawsuits against the church by orphans of St. Joseph's. A Florida lawyer, Robert Whitman, took on the case after a former orphan named Joseph Barquin asked for his help. He ended up spending years of his life pursuing these cases and trying to get justice for people. He had just uh, started a new law firm with a friend of his before Barquin came and knocked on his door. And, you know, he almost sank the new law firm before it even got off the ground. Widman met with dozens of orphans from St. Joseph's, and he eventually got a lot of them to provide testimony on their abuse. But the Catholic Church didn't make it easy on him, or on the orphans. Instead of allowing for a consolidated trial with multiple plaintiffs, the Church convinced the courts that each lawsuit should be heard individually. It was a devastating blow. Widman had hoped that each individual case could lend credibility to the others— Going at it alone, Woodman realized the orphans hardly stood a chance of convincing separate juries that nuns had actually committed abuse. The church played hardball. There was no sense that there was any attempt at genuine reconciliation. The, the strategy was almost entirely one of damage control, and if damage control meant actually inflicting more damage on the victims through this combative process of litigation, through shaming or blaming or uh, accusing people of making stories up, 
then that was the strategy that they went with. It was very active, very aggressive, and it was absolutely playing to win. That scorched earth policy was effective. Most of the orphans eventually settled with the church for paltry sums of money, and those who didn't were unable to win their cases, Christine found. Settlements were often for just a few thousand dollars. This story includes a lot of graphic details about child abuse. Figuring out which details to include was a challenge for Christine. After years of reading the worst imaginable descriptions of abuse, she had become numb to it. You know, I think by the end of the four years, my line in the sand had shifted so much because I had been so deeply immersed in that world. There were so many things that no longer shocked me at all. Christine had to rely on editors to help determine which details were too much for the average reader. So, you know, one of the biggest challenges, of course, was how graphic a lot of the information was and how to decide what was enough detail to, to, to tell an authentic story, what was enough detail to do justice to the survivors. You can only include so much of that kind of detail because people can't just keep reading it. Those details weren't just meant to be shocking. They were meant to corroborate other stories. Like Woodman, who wanted multiple witnesses to take the stand, Christine believes details in one story can lend credibility to another. Orphans who had never met described similar types of abuse from the same nun decades later. One woman would tell a story about a nun who held her outside a window, and then someone else would talk about being held outside a window. And neither of those women knew each other, but you were able to establish that they were actually at the institution in the same year. Christine spent months chasing down witnesses to specific acts of abuse or tracking victims of similar assaults. She determined that, although it might be impossible to prove that each individual act had occurred, she might be able to demonstrate their inevitability by clearly describing just how often children experience similar kinds of violence. But once you understood what went on inside these institutions. So once you'd heard enough individual stories about, simply just about violence, then you you came to understand that violence was endemic in these places. So looking at all those stories together, even if no one story necessarily corroborated the others, what you had was this sort of platform, this mesh of corroboration. Tracking incomprehensible violence through a period of decades is a Herculean task. To pull together her story's many threads, Christine needed a clear main character. She landed on Sally Dale. Sally spent two decades at St. Joseph's, from the age of 2 to 23. She witnessed another child's death, a boy pushed out the fourth-story window by a nun. And she was a victim herself, slapped, viciously beaten, and sexually molested. Sally was in many ways a creature of the institution itself. But Sally's long experience at the orphanage wasn't the only thing that pulled Christine toward her. She also had hours of deposition tapes from her 1990s lawsuits against the church, the one filed by Robert Whitman. There were also pages and pages of letters written to Whitman, each one a memory from some incident from her childhood. But her personal characteristics were also key. She had this incredible quality of frankness, and sincerity and innocence. Strangely enough, after everything she had been through after all those years, there was this 
lovely kind of sweet innocence about her and I think that this fundamental belief that underlined everything else she asked and all the stories she told, which was that, you know, this shouldn't have happened. It just shouldn't have happened, and that, that drove a lot of it. But there was a major challenge to basing a story around Sally. She had died in 2000 from lung cancer. Christine wouldn't be able to interview the main subject of her article. I certainly personally felt a lot of anxiety about whether I would you know, get halfway through that process and suddenly find I could not continue because Sally wasn't there and I couldn't ask her. Um, but as it turned out, there, there was a huge amount of documentation. In the end, Christine was able to follow through on Sally as the main character because of all the documentation about her. Here's an excerpt from one of Sally's deposition tapes, which was included in the piece. All I really want is an honest apology and for them to come face to face with me, tell me these things did happen, honestly tell me that they were sorry it happened and that would they please, if at all possible, never let it happen to children again. Many of the sources Christine spoke to had dealt with unimaginable trauma, and as a reporter, she had to ask them to tell her the details of those painful memories. Christine says she approached them with the understanding that they're adults who chose to tell their stories, and she reacted to them with empathy. It was certainly often the case that it felt traumatic in the telling. In those situations, I was, of course, there as a reporter, but I was also there as a human being, and I I think... Uh, sometimes we try to separate these two things out from one another, but it's really critical that you're always a human being in these situations. You know, I would sometimes have a, quite an emotional response to the stories that I was being told, and that was okay. I couldn't necessarily just sit there with a straight face and nod and act like it wasn't incredibly affecting. But these childhood victims of trauma weren't the only difficult interviews of this reporting project. Christine was able to track down one of the abusive nuns from a list of names and addresses pulled from orphanage documents. Using Nexus, social media, and word of mouth, she eventually tracked down Sister Priscilla. With Sister Priscilla, as with everyone else, when I eventually knock on someone's door, at least to begin with, I I, I tend to let go of any preconceptions or even specific questions I have, and I'm just there to get their story. So um, she was actually initially um, very happy to talk, and she was a delightful old lady to spend time with. She was very dynamic and curious and interested. Christine chatted with Sister Priscilla for quite a while, but eventually she pulled out documents and asked some more pointed questions about the specific allegations against her. Things became a little bit more surreal because the picture that she had painted was not consistent with the stories a lot of people had told about her. And that's when things got a little difficult during the conversation. Sister Priscilla eventually admitted that she had shoved a girl out a window at St. Joseph's Orphanage. She told Christine that she had permission to kick the children, but that she loved them. It is clearly uh, an item of belief held by many people within the community that even if things had happened, they weren't really so bad. Or even if they'd done things, it had been fair enough at the time. And I think that's what I tapped into when I started talking to Sister Priscilla. 
Christine says the abusive environment in those orphanages was so normalized that even those who weren't naturally inclined towards sadistic behavior could commit horrendous abuses and consider it normal. Within this closed-off world, a lot of these practices, which weren't being judged by anyone outside it, were being replicated over and over again throughout the generations, even to the point where there were some practices that seemed to be straight out of the 18th or 19th centuries. I don't think there was a lot of evolution inside this world. And for the young nuns who were inside that as well, they were essentially doing what their elders were telling them to do. With her reporting in place, Christine needed to figure out her story structure. Her final investigation totaled 60 printed pages. She was asking a lot of her readers, especially with such a dark and sad topic. It had to be as crisp as it possibly could be. There had to be no extraneous detail, no moments of sort of digression. And it just had to pull people along as much as it could. The finished article isn't a mere timeline of events. It does follow the 1990s litigation chronologically, but it jumps around the timeline of abuse in the orphanage, much like a series of fragmented memories bubbling to the surface of consciousness. Questions about specific incidents arise, but are left unanswered for long periods of time. The effect, we hoped, in the end, was that in the ways that a novel works, or perhaps a film might work, that people would accumulate in themselves a series of questions that they both wanted answered and they had enough faith in the writing and the author by that point that they knew we'd get there. She also allowed readers to hear directly from the orphans. Letters from Sally Dale to lawyer Robert Widman are sprinkled throughout the text. In one 1996 letter, she describes being bent backwards over a bathtub, getting cold water poured on her face until she stopped struggling. These first-person descriptions of abuse are harrowing, and that's why Christine included them. Primarily, it was just the completely visceral response that I had had to their words when I first read them. The power was not replicable. The power was in their own words. The power was in just the incredible way they described their story. I mean, had it been possible, had the form allowed it, I think I would have liked to have included more. Staying organized during the reporting process was essential. Christine ended up with boxes and boxes of documents and files, and even more digitized documents from her FOIA request. She kept them all together with a spreadsheet. She called it, and I quote, the matrix of torture. You know, I was trying to sort of put together when all the stories about kids being held over the banisters of stairs, had, you know, when did they cluster? So there's a lot of spreadsheeting of these kind of what initially seemed like vague stories, but which on closer examination actually proved to be quite detailed and proved to sort of corroborate other stories as well. That spreadsheet helped Christine pull together all the twisted threads of abuse allegations that spanned her years of reporting. Many different people held one piece of the story, and many different documents had just a few critical pieces of information. So it was really quite hard to maintain that general overview for a long time, before I was able to see within that larger picture which were the matching pieces that really mattered that were able to corroborate specific stories. A web of interconnected spreadsheets helped match those stories together, 
But Christine didn't just track allegations and documents and sources this way. She also tracked who helped her find each witness. But what was really, really critical was the provenance of that contact. So who had actually told me to speak to that person? Where had I first heard about that person? Because chasing back down that network is often a really critical part of evaluating a piece of information, whether you find it trustworthy or not. Much of the documentation Christine had was digital, and she says she read a lot of it while walking on a treadmill to keep herself focused. But a ton of it was just papers and photos spread throughout her office. The absolutely critical thing is just to spend so much time inside it that it kind of gets inside you, that you just, you absorb it, you learn it, you understand everything that you have, and then these tools of organization can help you trace your steps if you need to. Christine believes there's still a lot of secrets to uncover within the Catholic Church. Before the Boston Globe Spotlight team came out with its investigation in 2002, no one wanted to believe that members of the clergy were capable of abuse. So far, since the Spotlight investigation, the focus has been almost entirely on priests and almost entirely on sexual abuse. I think for a lot of people, it felt like this was the entirety of the story. This was the story of the Catholic Church. But in many ways, it was really just the beginning of the story of the Catholic Church. But Christine says the narrow focus on priests committing sexual violence leaves a lot of other cases of abuse uncovered. Different victims, different perpetrators, and different types of abuse. The sexual abuse not only of nuns but by nuns remains something that needs to be investigated much more thoroughly all across the country and all across the world. And on top of that, the story still revolves almost entirely around sexual abuse. The Pope is addressing sexual abuse, but the abuses of these religious clergy extend to and include grotesque physical abuse that has left scars on people for their entire lives. Christine says the silence around physical abuse is bolstered by the statute of limitations on the crime. The statute of limitations in most states on physical abuse against children from these institutions is a very, very, very short amount of time. And it's almost always the case that by the time someone has grown up enough, is well-equipped enough to think about getting some kind of recompense or pursuing justice physical abuse, that the statute of limitations has run out. But the really disturbing part of this story is that in many of these institutions, there were allegations of death. All of this can lead to deaths never being looked at by the criminal justice system. So the fact that the statute of limitations means that these stories about physical abuse can't be properly interrogated and examined in the court of law means that the stories about death remain hard to believe and outlandish and almost impossible to investigate. Victims of physical abuse never get justice, and the children who died, their stories never get told. That's why Christine hopes to see more investigations focused on other kinds of abuse. People who grew up in these institutions, the physical abuse was as bad as the sexual abuse. Their experience of it was as damaging and as humiliating and has had as many, if not more, consequences over the course of their entire lives. She's glad she could tell their stories and glad she could help so many victims feel seen, both former orphans and other abuse victims who lived outside institutions. 
And I heard from people who'd grown up in institutions all across the United States, people whose story was not specifically told in this article, but who recognized themselves and their own experience in it. It really did feel like for many people we were able to, at least for the first time, air uh, their story with some sense of the scale and the importance of it. Thanks for listening. Take a look at our episode notes for links to Christine's reporting and resources for investigating historical events. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can spend hours listening to the stories behind some of the best investigative reporting in the country at ire.org slash podcast. The IRE Radio Podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. Kelly Knoyer reported this episode. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. And from Columbia, Missouri, I'm Abby ivory Radio. Podcast. Podcast. You might want to do that already. Okay. Podcast. Podcast.